This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In this episode, we are hearing a personal story from Nicole Curran Sanchez. She's going to be talking about her miscarriages and her rainbow baby cruise. Pregnancy loss and miscarriage are another one of those things that we just don't talk a lot about, but happen more often than people realize. The statistics that we have right now, anyways, state that about 20% of pregnancies end with miscarriage. But that's not the end of the story. There's a lot of emotional pain and anxiety and sometimes depression that come with miscarriage or perinatal loss. It's another one of those times where women and partners can feel really alone. And I'm so honored to have Nicole in to share her story. Nicole was born and raised in Orange County, California, and has lived in Sacramento since 2008. She works at the state capitol as a senior legislative assistant and scheduler to the chair of the Assembly Health Committee. She has worked for the California state elected officials for the past 16 years. She's very active in her community and loves to help people navigate state resources, especially understanding paid family medical leave, Medi-Cal, and other state programs to help the most vulnerable populations, such as homeless, seniors, and children. She's a mom of a wonderful and kind five-year-old boy named Cruz. He is her rainbow baby. She and her husband, Rick, are thankful every day for their ray of sunshine. Let's hear from Nicole. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're open and willing to share your story with us. So please start wherever you'd like. Yes, my name is Nicole. And today, in honor of all of the unborn babies who mothers got to hold for one last time or who never got a chance to hold them, I just wanted to honor them, especially today on October 15th for a National Day of Remembrance. So it's really great that we're doing this today. My story is that I've actually had two miscarriages, one in February of 2011, and it was a very exciting time in my life because my best friend was expecting as well. Mm -hmm. And I, 
unfortunately, I never got this is more nerve wracking than I thought it was going to be. This is very hard for me because I didn't even know I was pregnant at the time. Mm. I ended up in the emergency room that day because of the very high blood pressure. And in the emergency room is where I found out that I was seven weeks pregnant. And I felt alone. Mm -hmm. I felt very scared. It was just a sense of all this anxiety just came to my mind. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do or what to expect. And unfortunately, the doctor in the emergency room treated me like I was just a statistic. And I think through my story here is to try to educate the doctors and hospital professionals and also any mom out there and just know that they're not alone and that they're not just a statistic, that they matter, that our little ones do matter. Yeah. And that unfortunately, when I was in the emergency room, I was never offered counseling assistance. Mm -hmm. I was never offered a phone number to call. I was just told that there's going to be some bleeding and there's going to be some clotting and cramping and to go home and take ibuprofen. So when I left the emergency room, I was never given an opportunity to talk about how I felt. And it was already cold to begin with in the emergency room. And this was just the coldest moment in my life. And when I went home that day, it was an extremely amount of pain. I remember my best friend came to the hospital to come and get my car. And my boyfriend at the time, he came, of course, to the hospital to be with me once we found out the news. Right. And I go home shaking, scared, and I just wanted to sleep for days. Yeah. I experienced a lot of depression and a lot of heartache. I actually gained probably about 40 pounds because of the depression. And I never knew exactly that it was being triggered by my miscarriage. I just never talked about it because to me, it was never important enough at that time in my life to focus on it. But I just kept on grieving and I didn't know exactly why I was grieving. Right. So no, nobody Uh, really ever talked to you about it, offered support either in the hospital or through any follow-up or anything like that? No. And that's the hardest part is that I have really good insurance. I am a health advocate myself for many patients, and I'm always an advocate for other people. But when it came to myself, I couldn't focus on what was happening to me. Right. Even my own primary care doctor, he was just more concerned that I was gaining weight. Mm-hmm. And But not asking really any questions to find out why or underlying causes or reasons. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it wasn't until almost a year later in April of 2012, we experienced a second loss of a miscarriage. And at that time we were married, newlyweds. And it wasn't until my second miscarriage is when I realized how much grief I was still grieving from my first miscarriage. Yeah. How far apart were they again? The first one was February of 2011, and the second one was April of 2012. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's not a lot of time. Uh, No, it's not a lot of time. And my husband was in Las Vegas for work at that time. And I just remember all of a sudden I started spotting at work, and I got myself an appointment 
at first, my own OBGYN wasn't available that day to take me. So I drove to a different facility in order to get checked out. And I just remember praying and singing the song, You're My Sunshine, mm-hmm. over and over again until I got to the hospital. Yeah. And when I was driving to the hospital, at this time, I was 14 and a half weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. And that was the week that I was scheduled to go in and find out if we were having a boy or a girl. Right. And so it's so while I'm driving to the hospital, I just kept singing the song over and over again in my head. And even there in the doctor's room, when they couldn't find the heartbeat, I also remember the doctor treating me like a statistic Mm. and just reminding me that it's one in four women will experience miscarriage. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. As you're sitting there trying to desperately searching for a heartbeat, this is what he comes with? Yes, she. Okay. You know, and here she was a medical professional. She's experienced this, you know, tons and tons of times before. But to me, I felt as though that I was just being treated as a statistic. And never once was I offered, why don't you call this phone number? I'm so sorry for your loss. There was none of that. There was no handholding during that whole entire time. Once again, I was alone in the doctor's office because my husband was away. And on my way back home, I remember calling my grandmother. Mm-hmm. and telling her what happened. And she is a woman of great faith. And all she did was just pray for me. And when I got home that night, I actually posted something on Facebook 
in regards to how I was actually feeling. And this is the first time ever that I expressed anything about even my first miscarriage. Sure, right. Um, because the first miscarriage I never really talked about. But the second one, I didn't want to just be a statistic. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make a difference. And I wanted to be a voice, be a voice for other people who went through the process. Right. And my husband, he rushed back home from Las Vegas. And I just remember just crying in his arms all over again, just like the first one. And nobody ever tells you on how much pain that you go through during a miscarriage. Right. And a friend of mine, she actually had a couple stillborn losses. And I reached out to her and I was telling her about how I was feeling. And then she's like, well, you should really just talk about how you're feeling to other people. And so that's what I did. I posted something up on Facebook and then a coworker of mine reached out to me through a private email and shared her experience and everything that she went through. Mm -hmm. And then before you know it, a high school friend reached out to me and told me her story. Wow. And then a grade school friend (laughs) reached out to me. Uh, And so all of a sudden it was like a domino effect that my sharing of my personal story allowed other moms to speak out about what they went through, through their miscarriage. That's incredible. So it was very touching that a lot of people reached out to me afterwards. And I'm very, very thankful for their kindness. And afterwards, I no longer have that OBGYN, but I did reach out to her and I shared my Facebook post with her. And I just reminded her that the next time a woman comes in and is in the same situation as I am, that she should be a little less callous and actually make sure she's okay before leaving her office. Good for you. Um, That's awesome. and, And so I ended up getting a new provider. And then like a few weeks went by and my husband didn't want to let me slip into a major depression like I was in the first one. Mm-hmm. And so we went to the animal shelter, the local mm-hmm. animal shelter, mm-hmm. and we were going in for a new cat, but we ended up with a scrawny, ugly looking dog <laughs> and his name is Chewy. Oh. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because Chewy, he's our rescue dog, but he's the one who actually rescued me yeah. because I was going to go into another deep, deep, deep depression again. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because Chewy literally was an ugly dog. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was mad at, you know, the next day was the day that he was going to be euthanized. And he has crooked teeth and just dirty and ugly. And that's how I was feeling. And that's the dog that we came home with. And it's kind of funny because Chewy still till this day, he and I have this bond between us because I know it was him that helped me not go through the major depression that I first went through. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so a year goes by and then we get exciting news again that I was pregnant. And this time during my pregnancy, any little bit of scare, any little bit of hiccup that sounded weird, I would go to the emergency room or I would go and ask for an ultrasound or I wanted to hear the baby's heartbeat because I was on edge through everything. I didn't even tuna. (laughs) Yeah, I was just anxious. Mm -hmm. Like everything that you were not supposed to 
eat on the list. I didn't even think about touching it. Mm-hmm. Um, I drank nothing but water. I gave up caffeine. It was just all this anxiety that would just go yeah. through, you know, being pregnant for a third time. Right. Anxiety um, about having another loss specifically. Right. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't actually until Cruz, my son, was I was going through labor. I had 38 hours of labor with him. Wow. And four hours of pushing. I had an allergic reaction to the epidural. Oh, no. And it wasn't until one of my labor nurses during delivery told me that I was about to deliver my rainbow baby. Hmm. And to me, I never heard that term before. I didn't know exactly what a rainbow baby was. And she explained it to me. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is true. And so through my rainbow baby, I now have a five-year-old. He's amazing. Mm. And he's my everything. Yeah. Um, But he's definitely in the center of my life. And back to that crazy old dog, he knew I was pregnant before I knew I was pregnant with Cruz. He would always lay on my belly while I was sitting on the sofa. And I hadn't even missed my period yet. Mm -hmm. And he would just, I'm like, you know what? This is kind of weird. This is kind of strange. He's too clingy right now. And sure enough, I go upstairs and I take the pregnancy test and we found out (laughs) we were pregnant. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're out there and you're listening, definitely go get yourself a rescue dog. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. They'll bring you some good luck. (laughs) That's amazing. Wow. You've been through so much with both of the losses, not really getting the help that you needed on multiple levels, it sounds like. And, you know, the anxiety that you described, I imagine that that was present for the second pregnancy as well? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You felt anxious the whole time for that? Yes. Yeah. It's, but more it's, so on the third. More so on the third. Absolutely. Right. So you've been through these two losses. And, you know, kind of just to go back a little bit, the providers that you had did either didn't have resources and or didn't know how to support you through the loss. And when you were describing that feeling of cold, you know, cold in that room, I imagine that you were talking about emotionally cold and distant and just, I think you also used the word callous. I'm not sure, but yes, that there was just a void of kind of having any feeling for what you might be going through. Yes. It was a void of empathy, the Mm -hmm. lack of care, Mm -hmm. the lack of, you know, it's already you're in an emergency room and they're trying to get people Mm-hmm. in and out of, you know, the hospital, but it just would have been nice for somebody to come in and talk to you and make sure that you're going home and that you're going to be safe and that you're going to be okay. I just wanted somebody to tell me that I was going to be okay right. and that I wasn't alone. And luckily now during my time with Cruz, I started reaching out to other moms through Facebook and there's a lot of nonprofits out there and there's also a lot of Facebook groups out there. And so I joined a lot of them and I would just be that person sending a hug from California to another grieving mom in Minnesota and just letting her know that she's not alone. And it was really nice just to be able to reach out to other moms. And here in my city, in West Sacramento, we have a West Sacramento mommies group. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And through that group is where I met a lot of my close and dear friends. And we've all gone through a lot. And it's always nice when other moms reach out to other moms for their own support. Right. And a friend of mine, she had a loss and another friend had a loss. And so there was a lot of us who were in the same boat, but all just at different periods of time in our lives. And we all talked a lot about it. Right. So it was just a nice supportive network that we all provided for one another. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, it just would have been nice if it would have been within the medical community. Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Liz. And we host the Mom Deconstructed podcast. We interview moms to find out the real story of their mothering journey. Motherhood is the most difficult job there is, but unless we allow ourselves to create community and accept the help of others, it can be a very lonely endeavor. Let's get beyond the superficial, delve into the dreams that inspire us, the struggles that test us, and the conversations that connect us. You can listen to Mom Deconstructed anywhere you get your podcasts, from the Parents on Demand Network and at momdeconstructed.com. Mm-hmm. Right. That they could have offered you that resource or led you yes. to it? Yes. Right. I mean, it sounds like in all of the places you felt so far anyways that I've heard that you felt really supported and heard and understood is when you had that support from other moms or other right. people going through similar situations. Right. Yeah. So clearly having that social support, the mom-to-mom support was very, very helpful. Was there anything else that helped you through this process? I would think that it had a lot to do with me trying to not get to where I was after my first one and just me pushing myself Mm. because I finally realized what was happening to me on why I was so sad and why my heart was aching so much. Mm -hmm. And then a mom in my support group was talking about, well, why don't you name them? And put whatever keepsakes that you have in a box somewhere. And this is my advice that I have to other moms who go through the same experience is to name them. You don't even have to share what their, you know, names are or where your keepsake box is just as long as you know. Right. And whatever you have, if it's an ultrasound picture or if it was just you taking a picture of your belly just to have a keepsake box Mm. and just make it private yeah. And then honor your loved one the day of your losses or when their birthdays would have been. And that's what my husband and I choose to do is, you know, we name them, you know, and then in my life right now, Cruz is an only child. I'm now 41. And that's the hardest part for me is because I never thought I would just have one child. Mm-hmm. But whenever somebody ever asked me, oh, you only have one. I'm like, no, I have two. I had two miscarriages before cruise and it's always a statement about who I am. Yeah. And no matter who, if I'm talking to somebody in a grocery store, if I'm talking to another mom in his kindergarten class, when we talk about my family, I always talk about my two little ones that went before us. And so it's just important because then you let other people know that it's not just an only child. Right. It sounds like you said that you and your husband chose to name them and So you guys talked about this and decided what you wanted to do together? Yes, we did. Yeah. 
Um, and that's great. I'm so glad too, because I'm glad you're kind of speaking to that because I think sometimes the, the dads or the spouses are left out of this conversation. And it, it's nice to know that he was involved and supportive. Yes, I think he's the one who took the initiative after the second one, because he also went through the grieving process. Sure. And he didn't tell me until later. But when he was leaving Las Vegas, he went into shock mode and just started sure. crying. Yeah. with one of his co-workers there in Vegas and yeah. he comes back to Sacramento and then it's having to cry all over again. Yeah. Yeah. It was really nice having him as a support person in my life mm. and holding me up when I was at my darkest hour. Right. Yeah. That's great because it's a family. It affects the whole family. Whoever knows about it or is invested in you guys, it's going to be affecting right. people to some extent. And having been through what you went through with the first miscarriage at the depression afterwards, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of concern, like you said, for that happening again, for the depression right. to come again. And that, yeah, you guys are a family and absolutely anything that affects one of you affects all of you, mm-hmm. especially something that deep. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I'm so glad you brought your husband into our discussion today. Obviously, he's very involved with you. Uh, yeah. But we don't talk about dads often enough or partners <laughs> often enough. I was thinking a little bit about your experience of the depression after the first miscarriage. And later on, it sounds like you figured out that it was connected to the loss. But during it, that it was hard to tell, right? Yes, it was. Because I didn't know if it was because of, you know, just everyday life on why I was going through what I was going through, if it had to do with in the anticipation of getting married, like married jitters, or I didn't know Mm -hmm. exactly where it was at. Mm -hmm. And looking back at it all, it had everything to do with my first loss. And back to my husband with his support role, dads go through their own emotional roller coaster ride with this too. I remember one of his close friends, they had a loss a couple years ago and he instantly told, you know, one of his best friends, you have to have your wife reach out to my wife. And sure enough, you know, and then we all grieved together. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, you know, you could just go on to the internet through Etsy or, you know, some type of card making class. And there's even all these special gifts. There's even keepsake boxes that you could buy online mm-hmm. for a loved one who, you know, is grieving. Right. And so I have cards at home so that if anything does happen again, that I'm able to be there for a friend and that I'm able to share my experiences with them too, in order to try to help them through their process. Wow. That's amazing. And it's incredibly thoughtful that you're just like ready to go to support someone And I think one of the main ways I hear people doing that is really through their own experience. And we get, you know, if we're going through something that's devastating and heartbreaking, that's when our eyes are opened to really how hard this is. And through your own healing and your own process, being able to give that support to somebody else, I'm sure is just so beneficial to them. And, you know, how does that feel for you to be able to give support from that place? Well, it helps me out a lot too, to be there for somebody else. In my nature of work that I do, I help out a lot of people. 
And so it's, it's just part of my nature of being that extra helper out there yeah. to try to make the world a better place. Yeah. But Facebook networks, especially being able to reach across the country to somebody, you know, in some little small town in Arkansas or some little small town in Maine who may not have the same resources that we have in California. It's nice just to be able to share what I went through with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So that was important to me. Like, I remember my husband would joke with me at like, you know, who are you on Facebook with right now? Who are you talking to? <laughs> and it's like two o'clock in the morning. And then I tell him, I leaned over and I was like, I'm trying to be there for another mom. And then he's like, you were just on with somebody last night. And I'm like, it's one person at a time. Mm-hmm. And it was just all of a sudden, I just started reaching out to somebody would post something. I just, you know, lost my baby or I just found out I had a miscarriage or, you know, I just gave birth to my unborn baby. And I would just reach out to them constantly. Now there, you know, there's even walks that, you know, down in Orange County for Day of Remembrance, just even reaching out to the moms and the dads through that group was helpful. It's a really nice feeling just to make sure that people don't feel that they're alone so that they don't have to feel cold and lonely. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. And it sounds like it's a continued support for you, too, and maybe even healing for you to be able to do that. Yes, absolutely. Very cool. Even in my work here on what I do is just trying to advocate for other moms so that when I'm in a meeting with 
medical professionals, I'm always having to remind them people experience different things in different ways. Mm. And just because you think that they're going to be okay doesn't mean that they are going to be okay. Right. So you're like an advocate now too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. Once you go through something like that and then your eyes are opened to this world and this experience, it sounds like it became really important for you to be able to try and open other people's eyes to it also. Yes, it did. That's fantastic. And now you're continuing to do the work that you do and advocate for moms and families and be the mom to your son, Cruz. And what else would you like to share about your experience? Well, it's kind of interesting because even during my labor process with Cruz, I was so scared. I was so scared of losing him or even losing myself. I had 36 hours of labor. And by the last, I'd say, five hours, I was begging for a C-section. And they just would not give me a C-section. I was to the point of just pure exhaustion. And because of my allergic reaction to the epidural, they were giving me medicine in the hospital in order to counteract it. So it was delaying the process. Yeah. So according to them, I was fine and the baby was fine. But to me, emotionally, I was in the process of just giving up because I just wanted him to be safe. Right. And so interesting on how just looking back at my labor experience on how much I had to try to advocate for myself. And later on, I ended up not needing a C-section. I held him in my arms. I did not want to let go. Yeah. <laughs> I took one look at him and my mom was present and my husband, of course, was present. And my husband was just sobbing and crying because he was finally here. Yeah, like he right. was just so emotionally involved with it all. Right. And my mom, I blacked out after my final push because I ended up developing this really horrible migraine. And so my mom was the one with the baby during the cleanup time and, you know, weighing and how long he is and all that kind of stuff. And then my husband was in the bathroom crying because he just couldn't believe that he finally had a son. Right. That was finally here. So it goes back to, you know, what you were talking about, your spouse being in a support role as well. Mm -hmm. So, yes, there is that emotional connection that dads do have with the pregnancy and losses along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and also it's like I can imagine it being such a relief to having gone through what you guys went through, waiting all this time, having all (laughs) this anxiety, and then there he finally is. And I think there's some part of us that when those types of situations happen, you can finally like let go and or you're just so overcome with emotion that they just come and that's totally fine and normal. And yeah, I mean, these are very intense situations and there's a lot of emotional stuff. Sometimes we can't even put our fingers on it, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just happening. And then what a beautiful testament to how, you know, his involvement in also to your journey together. Yes. Yeah. So considering your journey and all that you've been through, do you have any hopeful messages or things you'd like for moms and families to know? Yeah, sure. Just like I tell my son every day, 
families come in all different shapes and sizes. Some families have a family of three. Some families have a family of seven. My son goes to a Catholic school. So the average number of kids in a family is about four. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just trying to teach him that all families are different. Some families end up adopting a little one out of foster care. Mm-hmm. And that's a family. That's a family of love. You may only have that one opportunity to say goodbye to your loved one as you last hold them one last time before you have to say goodbye. That is your family. Families grieve, families love, and it's just a process that you have together. I think a lot of times people, they put too much of a rush. Oh, you're 26 years old. You're not married yet. You're not a mom yet. Why are you waiting too long? How many kids do you have? There's too many questions, but what people don't realize is that it's a personal story between you and your own family. And just don't let anybody make you feel that you're a statistic. Mm -hmm. Just like with me, I learned that I'm not just a statistic. I'm a mom. I was a mom that had to let go. And through time, I was able to understand what I went through And now with my son, Cruz, he's my rainbow baby, and he's my ray of sunshine. And it's okay to be a party of three. Yeah. So I think if I had to give any bit of advice for somebody who's gone through this is reach into your own heart and hold your little one close. And that's all that you can do. You can't necessarily grieve alone. Reach out to family. Reach out to friends. Reach out to you know, clergy or of your own faith and just let others be there for you. Because in this world that we live in, especially in today's world, it may seem a little ugly out there, but there are really are good people out there who can be there for you. Yeah, absolutely. That was beautiful, Nicole. Thank you so much for for your words. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. I know. I appreciate your vulnerability here with us and sharing all of this. I just know that just as you found out, once you put your story out there, you got so many people reaching out to you with their own stories. And I know that you sharing now is also going to have that same impact that someone out there is really going to be able to identify with what you're saying and feel held and feel heard and seen and know that they have the right to feel however they need to feel. And that, you know, despite having a sort of a cold experience with them, with medical providers, that their experience is valid and that they have every right to seek out help and support and get the healing that you found as well. So I appreciate you so much and thank you for sharing your stories with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Again, thank you, Nicole, for sharing your experience and letting us hear what it's like to go through this and find healing. And what I hear so often from mothers who've experienced loss is that it feels sometimes impossible to understand how you're going to get through something. And when we hear that other people are able to get through it and find their meaning in other ways or through their other children, it really does and can give hope to the mom who's suffering. So thank you, Nicole. If this is your first time with us on the Mom and Mind podcast, please check us out wherever you listen to podcasts. We're all over the place. You can find links to most listening platforms at momandmind.com. 
We'd love to have you come join us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And as usual, we thank you so much for being with us today. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.